Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman here, and he's the best storyteller in the game, and it's time to sit back, relax, and have some laughs. Welcome to the Mayor's Office, and here's your host, Sean Casey. Back at it, Chinch. Yes. Back at it, my man. Yes, right. dude. Yes. One of the greatest. This, oh, the greatest. this is going to be a good one this week, man. One of, one of my buddies, uh, one of my favorite teammates of all time, played with him out there in Detroit in uh, 2007. Let me, let me just break it down really quick. And I'm going to throw you some – I don't think we have enough time. It would be an hour show talking about this guy's accolades, okay? Let me just go down some of them, though, because it's unbelievable. He was a sixth pick of the draft in, in, 80, in 86, first round by the Brewers. Going down his, his stats, 292 career hitter, two, almost 2,700 hits, 509 home runs, right? Played for the Brewers, Padres, Marlins, Dodgers, Braves, all that stuff, Yankees, Tigers, Mets. Nine-time All-Star. 97 World Series champion and, and with the Marlins, five-time Silver Slugger, won the NL batting title in 92. And, and, and what, what was so significant there was Gwynn was the only other guy to win all those titles with the Padres. Jeez. 100 RBIs with five different teams, only player in big league history. This is the stat for me being a big league player, dude. Topped only 80 strikeouts twice in 22 seasons, bro. This Luke guy Garrick never style. struck. It's unbelievable, dude. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Eight seasons, 30-plus homers, and holds the record for most MLB parks played in at 51. Let's bring him in. We could keep going all day long, but yep. let's bring him in and ask him what it was like. Let's bring in one of the best yeah. players of all time, one of my favorite teammates, Gary Sheffield. Yeah. What's up, Chef? What's up, man? How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing great, dude. Out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know me, Chef. I almost did. I almost went into cardiac <laughs> arrest right there. <laughs> Chef, first off, man, how's everything going, bro? What's going on? What's going on in the life of Gary Sheffield right now? Hey, man, well, life is wonderful, man. I got I got my boys going to college. Uh, I have my son at Georgetown. I have another one. Uh, got a full ride to Florida State. And my youngest, he get to call his own shots. And and so, you know, I have one at, uh, you know, down here in Florida going to college. Um, you know, there's a lot of great things going on. I got my travel ball team. Um, that I get to coach my own boys so we can coach them the correct way and give them the things that they need. And so, you know, my, my day was up. Um, I turned my attention to just focusing on my kids' careers and what they want to pursue. And whatever that is, I, I try to get behind them. Stay there, Chef, for a second, man, because like I can only imagine having Gary Sheffield as my coach in those prim- <laughs> in, in those primitive years where, like, you know, hey, listen, you're forming yourself as a man. What What's the biggest advice you're telling these guys, first off, how to be a man, and second off, uh, baseball-wise? Well, I told them the first thing I always tell every kid that when you respect the game, it'll respect you back. Mm. And you play the game the right way. You know, stop playing for stats. Stop playing – yeah, everybody's a shortstop. Everybody's a third place hitter because you know everybody is not a shortstop and everybody's not a third right. place hitter because taking on those you know responsibilities, you have to be careful because you know you may see a guy that hit third go over four and a guy hit eight go four for four and that guy hit eight think he should be hit third. Well, <laughs> when they find one, well, I say, okay, I'm gonna give you your medicine you asked for. So I put them third and they wind up they get pitched different and then next thing you know they over forty. <laughs> so true so true you're like hey you're not going to see as many heaters in the eighth spot we're going to start no. seeing some sliders some change-ups you, <laughs> you, 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 you don't see fastballs and then all of a sudden yeah. 
never throws me a fastball. Want to go back to eight? Do it, coach. <laughs> so great, man. That's so great. Oh, that's, that's so great. Chef, so I want to turn back the clock a little bit with you because you're in, obviously in a different role now, man, just kind of the same role I'm in. You know, I, I, coaching my kids, both of my sons are playing, one's at University of Dayton, one's at Kent State, so kind of coached them and watched them go off to college and enjoying that now. But, like, man, I, I like to look back at some of the – people that influenced me growing up and not, you know, your story is an interesting one, brother, because yeah. you grew up, you grew up in Tampa and, um, you know, your whole family's down there and, and doc Gooden is your uncle who's, yeah. but doc's only four years older than you. So it's like, almost right. like you guys are cousins kind of, right. can you talk up, can you talk about what that was like growing up down there? And it, especially being, um, having your uncle be one of the greatest pitchers of all time at the at the beginning yeah. of his career, and you know what were those wiffle ball games like? <laughs> <laughs> Pure hell! <laughs> Pure hell! I love it. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll say this, Case. Um, you know, my life is a movie, man. If you really break down my life, it's a movie. And if I take you back to my childhood, how I got my last name all these things, it's, it's a movie. And so nobody would believe me. And so, you know, growing up with Doc, he was always that special kid and dominating the neighborhood, dominating this area. And I was that young pup, the only one that can catch him because <laughs> I had to go through hell to learn how to catch him because, you know, if I miss the ball, I'm getting beat up. So, you know, I, I got bullied into learning how to play baseball. So that's pretty much how I went. So, you know, it was just one of those things where I didn't appreciate it then, but I appreciate it now that I look back at it. He was only trying to make me better. He was trying to make me uh, become the player that he was always bragging on, that he, I was going to be better than him. And I never believed it. It was just one of those things that just young, innocent kids, playing football, baseball, basketball on an everyday basis, all-day basis, barely coming in the house to eat. We, or, you know, we take a sip or drink here and there of water or whatever, Gatorade, and we're back at it. So, you know, that just that whole uh, process for me was just, uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, eye-watering. What was it, like, when, when you grew up with Doc, Chef, you know, he was in the big leagues at, what, 19, 20 years old, I mean, yeah. throwing fuel. I, I, I almost look back. I think Doc had to be upper 90s, 100. If you're talking about the guns nowadays, I mean, yeah, he probably absolutely. was at 102. So yeah, did, you, did you think that was normal? Like growing up, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm facing. Like, did you have any idea that you were facing one of the, one of the what will be one of the best in the game? Well, it was normal for him. <laughs> but. But when we was facing it, everybody knew, you know, stand down. That's the man. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was just one of those things where he's always been that special baseball player, that special pitcher. You know, nobody knows. He used to switch hit. He can hit right-handed wow. or left-handed. And, uh, you know, how he got discovered, it was a game um, at University of South Florida. And I was at the game. And it was probably 20, 30 scouts out there to see Vance Lovelace pitch. And Vance Lovelace, he had walked like the first three hitters. And Dwight, uh, he was playing right field. Nobody knew who he was. And they had Floyd Yeoman on that team as well. So Vance oh, yeah. Lovelace was the ace. Floyd Yeoman was the second starter. And Dwight was the third starter. So <laughs> barely pitched. You know, you got Jeez. 20 high school games, so you're really not going to pitch that much. 
Oh, so, my God. So all the scouts got up when Vans got pulled out of the game in the first inning. And I remember Coach, our coach, uh, legendary Coach Coach Reed, God bless the dead, uh, threw out his right arm to, to uh, call in Dwight to come in and pitch. And Dwight ran in. And my granddad was there, you know, and we would, we've been, you know, we've all been waiting on this moment forever. And we just needed the right thing to happen. And it happened on that day. He just stepped on the mound. The first pitch he threw, he threw it 95. So the scouts, oh and the first thing they did was they looked back and they heard the mitt popping. So the next thing you know, they come back and they set the machines back up and pulled out the, the jug gun. The next one was 96, and he never dipped below 95. So he came in when the hitters came up there. He struck out the side without giving up a run, and then he went on to strike out 16 that day. <laughs> wow. Covered. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the fact that he was the number three starter on that, on that team yeah. <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's unbelievable. Yeah. So, like, Chef, you growing up during that time, you know, with Doc in the, in, in, the, in the neighborhood and all your whole family, like, what are some of the lessons that you learned, you know, coming forward, especially if there was any adversity there? What were some of the things that you brought with you into, into pro ball, but also, you know, with you still with you now as the man you are today? Well, you have to do it the right way. You have to work hard, no shortcuts. Um, nothing is going to be given to you and never take anything for granted. You know, it could be your last game, your last ball you ever throw. All of those things come into play. Most important, you have to be a good teammate and mm. and good person. And and that's the thing that I, we prided ourselves on, you know, being a good person. Now, people that don't know us can hear a lot of stories and make right. a lot of assumption, and it's all subjective. But when it comes down to people that really know you, they, they can speak for you and your character and things like that because, you know, in today's society, people try to throw around people's character a lot and try to damage their character when they don't know that, that person. And so, you know, that's why I rely on teammates to speak for me because when it, you know, in the locker room, you know how I was in the locker and I was that way in every locker I was. So it's, it's hard not to get along with me because I get along with everybody. It's it's funny you said that, bro. I was telling I was telling Rich before we came on. I said, "Bro, one of my favorite teammates of all time, one of the most loyal teammates I've ever had. Like, it was it was it was the one of the safest I've ever felt in my life. Like, At least I know Chef's got my back. You know, if, if shit goes sideways, I know I got Chef right next to me. We're gonna be okay. You know what I mean? You best believe. You know, but I, dude, I, 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 you know, it's funny you said that, bro, because I think people that don't necessarily know Gary Sheffield might think, oh man, this guy is arrogant. This guy's this now. I'm like, no, 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 no. You got it totally backwards. If you don't know Gary Sheffield, you know, this guy is one of the best teammates everyone's ever had, you know, and he's loyal. He plays hard, works hard. So, you know, I always appreciated that about you, Chef. I'm I'm serious. And I know, like you talked about Jason Grilly and a lot of the guys that play with you, man, guys that were in that clubhouse with you, they know what you brought to all of us. And we appreciated that, man. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And that's what it's all about, uh, Case. You know, the thing is, it's about relationships that you have with guys that you're going out there for eight months a year, you know, yeah. hopefully you get the playoff in World Series and you go to battle with it. And you have to see each other every single day. And every day ain't a good day for you. You know, you don't know what a person's <laughs> going through. You know, like I tell people all the time, you know, that nobody knows what I go through in life. 
but right. you know you know when when you have writers you know they they when they ask you questions you know they may ask you a question but they ask they they're they're, they're talking at me and attackful you know questions and then that's what you get back because i'm a fighter at heart you know right. i fight through anything whether i'm losing or winning i'm a fight and so that's just all i know yeah and yeah. chef I, what case was just saying like in the media media people were the ones that said oh sheffield in a locker room every single player that has ever walked into a studio was like gary sheffield is the best teammate i've ever had <laughs> seriously that i've ever talked to i'm not kidding and I, that's the biggest in, contradiction ain't it? Isn't it it's crazy <laughs> yeah. i've worked in this industry for over 20 years i've never met a baseball player who never said you weren't the best player so was there yeah. was there anybody in the media that you trusted because you had a right not to trust any of them when you were playing well trust is a different uh scenario than 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 allowing them to do their job because i remember eddie murray didn't talk to the press I remember Sterling Sharp was a Green Bay Packer when I was a Milwaukee Brewer, and he didn't talk to the press, and I talked all the time. And so I was always told, allow people to do their job, and they'll do their job the right way towards you. And that didn't happen in my case. You know, I was on eight different teams. You would think that going into the Hall of Fame and being in situations where I've been in front of all of these guys that saw me play on an everyday basis and got to cover me on an everyday basis will understand that none of these things are true. You just it's just that you have these um, these beat writers that come in maybe every blue moon and and they don't they, they come at you on in a tactful way and then it it's not a good interview or something comes out of it where it's like a back and forth and that one guy can change the perception of of many. Mm. Chef, do you do you think with with you know right now you sitting at Cooperstown? First off, it's an a absolute crying shame Gary Sheffield isn't in Cooperstown yet, but that's hopefully that'll that'll happen here soon. But your your numbers continue to climb at 406 percent now with two years left, and it looks like you know the, the new writers are coming in for voting and things like that. It seems like people are starting to look more and more at the numbers. You know, do you do you feel like these last couple years of yourself on the ballot that will that would help you, you know, as far as getting in. And also, do, would it would it bother you to not get into Cooperstown in these next two years? Well, I think it just started uh, raising my temperature at this point because when it starts affecting your family, that's yeah. when it gets personal. Um, you know, the bottom line is I really didn't play to make the Hall of Fame. I played the game because I love the game. And once you start playing the game and start achieving things, then you start getting bigger goals and bigger dreams. And that's how we got to that point. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, my family, my kids are playing the game and they want to be a major league baseball player one day if they have, if God is willing. Um, that means something to them. And whatever something means to your kids and your family, it means something to you. And so I would never be one of these players say I wouldn't I don't want to be in the Hall of Fame. I should, I, you know, that it's okay with whatever they do. No, it's not okay because the bottom line is you're relying on writers to do the right thing. And as a player, I put in the work. I, I put in 22 years. Nobody, a lot of people can't say that. And I, I still have the numbers and I've done things that nobody's ever done. Um, so I look at this as the same thing of why I wasn't a four-time, five-time MVP. So when you really look at my numbers, I should have four or five MVPs because yeah. how can you be player of the year and the players vote in both leagues, the player of the year, and never win an MVP? And so yeah. if, 
if I if I'm if I'm going for a triple crown and the last day of the season, how can I why why can't I be MVP? Uh, so what, what, I got a lot of things to say about that, you know, because you know you look at guys like A Rod, he made he got the MVP in, on a last place team. You you look at a lot of you look at a lot of scenarios with me. They kept moving the goalposts. You know, when I when I was triple crown in '92, the first thing they told me, well, Barry Bonds won because he had more stolen bases. Well, Barry Bonds ain't leading the, the league and hitting either. You know what I mean? So, and, and Barry Bonds ain't have at, at that time. I had 36 strikeouts. So when I, in my triple triple crown season, I had 33 home runs and almost 36 or 37 strikeouts. So wow. And 14 errors at third base. So that's when I started looking at, is this re- award really that special? You know, because if you look at Mike Trout, you look at Bryce Harper, and you look at their MVP seasons, I got 10 seasons that was better than those. Wow. So yeah. when you really break things down and look at it for what it's worth, while guys are hitting 300, hitting 30 home runs, driving on 100, I was doing that, also scoring 100 and walking 168, 150 times. Yeah. So wow. you can spin it how you want, yeah. but the facts are, the, are what they are. Then they try to define something that they try to claim that you wasn't good at, and that's defense. Well, I when you look at my defense, it wasn't that I wasn't great at defense. I caught what was hit to me. And the bottom line was I'm a shortstop. I'm a natural shortstop. So the goal was from day one is to move me off of my position to go and battle third basemen who's who's supposed to hit 30 home run, then move to the outfield with guys who's supposed to hit 50 and 60 home run. And I still stood my ground and playing a position that I wasn't supposed to be playing because if they would have left me at shortstop, you would probably be saying me and A-Rod is one yep. and yep. two all the time. Wow, that's a great point, man. I never even thought about that. You're exactly right. You came up as a shortstop, played your first few years at third base, then all of a sudden we're we're an outfielder. And you're right, those numbers, if you're a shortstop, bro, yeah. it's yeah. it's it's first ballot. Here we go. Greatest yeah. one of the greatest shortstops of all time. Exactly. And that's the yeah. point I make. And then the thing is, is that I changed position being a good teammate because I remember the time that Milwaukee Brewers had a 250 hitter and that then Bill Spires, they tried to move me to third base for him. Well, right. he's not good enough for me to move. And so the thing is, is that I wind up doing it unwillingly, but I did it. And then you don't get credit for that. Then all of a sudden being a team player, I moved to the outfield to accommodate Dave Maggot and coming back to the Florida Marlins. So you don't get credit for that. So it's like, when you're damn if you do, you're damn if you don't. You because don't. see, when I resisted moving positions, I got bad press. When I did yeah. it willingly, they did. They said it. Oh, he did it because he can't play the position, so I couldn't win. Right. It was a no, no, a lose lose situation. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chef, when you look back at your career, bro. And, you know, the thing that I, I admired about your career, especially when you go look at the numbers, and that's that's what I'd say, like, listen, you know, you you got to really look at your numbers and go, we're talking about one of the greatest players of all time here. When you yeah. break it down, I know for me personally, I played 11, 12 years in the big leagues. I just know how hard it was to, like, put up 
two or three good years, like really exceptional years. When I look at your numbers, dude, it's really phenomenal. The years that you put up, the consistency of Gary Sheffield was phenomenal. And I, and I was talking about the the one stat early on was you had a thousand four hundred seventy five walks and a thousand one hundred seventy one Ks. You, you walked 304 more times than you punched (laughs) out, which is unheard of nowadays, dude. Guys are punching out 200 times nowadays. And everyone's like, Hey, that's no big deal. He's got an OPS of 860. I was like, I don't give a shit. The guy's punching out two, <laughs> 200 times a year. And what's he going to do in the postseason against good pitching? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So can you can you take us through that a little bit, bro, about your approach night in and night out and how you were so consistent in not punching out 100 times, putting hitting close to 300 every year, 30 home runs? What was your approach at the plate? Well, I'm going to say this. Um, I'll start with my senior year in high school. And everybody talk about, you know, Tino Martinez, Luis Gonzalez, and I played against those guys. And my whole goal was to break all of Tino Martinez's records. And I did that in high school. I hit 15 home runs in 20 games. And I had 90 at-bats with 30 walks and 30 hits. And I had 30 RBIs and I hit 500. So when people say that hit 500 don't mean nothing, I was doing this since I was eight. So don't tell me I wasn't the best player in my, in my class forever. And so everything I did in the major leagues, it was predicted when I was eight years old because that's what I was supposed to do. My approach is I hit to the scoreboard. I don't play for stats. So that's why numbers are subjective. You know, I can, you can make a rod, you can say he's a better player than me because based on numbers. But if you want to talk about a baseball player and you talk about breaking it all down like an A-Rod, you talk about a Barry Bonds, you talk about a Manny Ramirez, you talk about Big Poppy, you break all these guys down. But when you look at the whole grand scheme of things, all the way across the board, strikeout, run scored, stolen bases, everything across the board, multiple positions, I'm there with the Barry Bonds is when you speak about baseball. You can try to speak about me in a lower term because you try to make numbers so this and base it on that. But a lot of times where guys got these big numbers, they don't win a championship. And you can see that. And the bottom line is when you look at a player like me, I give a team everything that they need. And from the third spot, I've been hitting third since I've been eight years old. And nobody, nobody has ever dethroned me from hitting third. Joe Torrey tried to do it and with the Yankees, and it ain't go so well for him when he did. Because Is that when he put A-Rod at third? Is that when he put A-Rod at third, and you found out who was yeah. the guy. And yeah. he found out who was the guy real quick. And I told him that to his face, and he thought it was an arrogant statement. But I told him, no, it's not an arrogant statement. It's a fact. <laughs> you know, because Jeter got off to a bad start. A-Rod got off to a bad start. And me and Matt Sui was carrying the team. And I went in Joe Torrey's office, and I told him, you're the reason why we're losing. And I said, he told me, what do you mean? I said, because you got our lineup out of order. And I, he said, well, what are we going to do with A-Rod? I said, put him in front of me hitting second. And hit me third, and we'll win. And that's when we took off. Mm. 
Oh yeah, no, I remember those those, those stops. What you know, Chef? It's funny because you, when I look back at your career, and I, just as back as a player and playing with you and stuff like that, you always hit good pitching. There, yeah. there wasn't that you couldn't bring in a closer that you could bring in a guy with a bazooka and Gary Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Sheffield would somehow turn it around. It was unbelievable. Like, can you talk about that as far as your mentality goes about facing the best of the best? It seemed like your game went to another level. Well, it goes back to your first question of what what was my approach. You know, it was simple. I look fastball and adjust. I make you pitch in the box, and I don't go out that box. I may go out of it sometimes. You know, you may have good days, bad days, or how you feel. And, you know, you know the game. Case your leg can be hurt one day, your, your finger can hurt the next, your elbow can hurt the next, and your shoulder hurt the next. So you, 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 try, you try to make up the deficit on your approach of hitting based on how you're feeling that day. And if, and if I can't sit down on my backside, then I become a front foot hitter. If mm-hmm. I feel good or with my legs, I stay on my backside. So my thing was is that no matter what the count was, I always approached it like the OO count. Mm-hmm. And no matter – and once the ball is thrown and, and it's a ball one or a strike one, I approach it like it's a 3-2 count. And so now it's either you or me. You got to either throw the strike or I'm going to take the ball. And if you don't, and, and, and I just force pitches to make me swing. You know, I'm ready to swing, but you have to make me swing. And that's mm. what that was my approach. Wow. Wow. Did, she, okay. Okay. Sorry. Did you, Chef, did you have a two strike approach? My two strike approach was the easiest approach I ever had because it's like, I know you're not going to strike me out. And so <laughs> now the bottom line is every time I get three, two count or, or, or two strikes on me, I'm saying to myself, you got to throw a strike and still. You still have to throw a strike, and I'm not going to swing at a ball because I know that you're not going to throw me a ball down the middle of the plate with two strikes. So I make you – I work my way back into the count with three, two, and then I get my pitch, and then I do what I do. Wow. And, Chef, you – I'm not a a panic hitter. I'm a relaxed hitter all through that bat. Wow. But also, your generation, when you guys played – Maybe had some of the most intimidating pitchers of all time, like Clemens was yeah. pitching. Pedro, yeah. there's I'm a I'm a lifelong Yankee fan, man. When when Pedro yeah. hit you that one day and you said, "Not yeah. me, not me," yeah. Yeah. like you, first of all, that was one of the greatest things. You're one of the, the Yankee fans consider you one of the greatest Yankees of all time. Even though you, I'm not kidding, bro. And you dominated. I said to Case right before, I'm like Matsui and Chef were the guys you wanted up back then. Sorry, yeah. that's just my fandom there. But in the in the in the grand scheme of things, facing those Pedros and facing those Clemens, you kind of flipped the switch, and you were more intimidating in a box than some than any pitcher that ever faced you. Did you take that approach yeah. seriously on purpose? Absolutely. That's why I tell people all the time: people got to be careful when they're talking to other players and great players <laughs> about other great players. They may be great to you, and they may be great to my other teammates, but they ain't great to me. You know, and so my granddad always taught me to own that batter's box, no matter who's out there, whether it's Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, whatever. The first day I ever faced Roger Clemens, I had four hits. And so uh, when I, the, the only guy that I can really honestly say to you is two guys, Dave Stewart and, um, and uh, uh, Nolan Ryan. It's the only two guys I really had a little fear of that I was like, <laughs> I was like shaking in my pants, but when I faced him, because number one, I couldn't see Dave Stewart's eyes when he pitched. He had his cap <laughs> so, so I couldn't, I couldn't really figure that out. 
and Nolan Ryan was just Nolan Ryan, you know. And and so I remember facing Nolan Ryan on opening day against the Rangers, and he threw me a fastball, and I hit it out of the stadium, not out of the in foul territory. I hit it out of the stadium over our dugout, at third base, and he, like, and he didn't like that too much. So the next pitch was behind my head. And I dove forward, and I thought I was dead. And so, 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 the, so the next pitch he threw me. I hit a foul home run to left field, and he didn't like that too much. And then he was going to my chin, and I dove back and thought I was dead. So I died twice and one at back. <laughs> so, and so, oh so the next pitch, he threw me a curveball, and I hit it off the wall, and I slid in for a double, and I got up to pump my fist, and he was standing right there, and I stopped right in front of my fist. <laughs> and he tipped his cap to me. <laughs> and when oh he tipped his cap to me, wow. that's what they, I got all the respect from him that day and that's when like if, if Nolan Ryan and I can get past Dave Stewart of the intimidation nobody can bother me wow dude I, no when you when you got it was so funny when you got brushed thrown behind by Nolan and then brushed back still no fear or you're like I'm coming for you no fear <sighs> no fear because I got hey I got hey I come from the hood yeah. I, I come from the hood it ain't a whole we don't make a whole lot of money in the hood so I <laughs> This, this it's game on now. You know, I, to be honest with you, Case, I tell people all the time, they don't believe me. I was willing to die for that cause. You wow. know, you hit me in the head, I'll stand right in there. Let's be, let's get it. it. It's nothing to me. And that's just the way I approach it. So when guys threw inside, people always wonder how I can come back and hit home runs off this, these guys. My coaches used to always say, when guys come in on you, it does something to you and you just lock in. I say, because, yeah. see, they just, that just get my, my my blood boiling right there. And, oh, and dude, dude, do you remember that one time in 07 in Detroit with Cabrera? Remember that young Absolutely. kid, Daniel Cabrera? I, I can't remember. Can you tell us what, what happened there, Chef? It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my career. What, what, do you remember that? Yeah, I remember it. I remember all of them. <laughs> so, so, so this guy supposed to be a hard thrower, flame thrower. You know, he want to intimidate people, but he's this bony little skinny kid. You're not going to intimidate me because if I come up there, I'm going to break you in half. So that's basically how I was looking at it. So he threw in on me because, um, you know, he threw in on me and um, I got, I, I looked at him and I said, all right, now that was a little close. Now you you want to throw at me, you better throw below my waist and uh, above my, you know, below my chest. I said, you better throw below my chest. And he was like, get back in the box. I say, I will. Give me a minute. And you ain't going to like it when I get in there. We're talking while that bat is going on. <laughs> I remember. Then, then he tried to go to 97 and try to throw it by me. And I must, I must have hit the tiger up. <laughs> and and, and when, I, when I hit the ball, I looked dead in his dugout and I started walking. And looking in his dugout, and I'm like, the, the exact words, that I'm like, I'm not the one to be fucked up with. <laughs> yes. And that's what I said. And, and then when he looked at me and I ran around the base, I'm looking at him and he getting, he getting upset at me. But, I, you know, what is he going to do? Dude, I, re I remember that. It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Like, we were all in the dugout. And I remember thinking, this young kid know what he's doing? Like, I don't care. That's why I said. You could bring a rocket launcher face carry Sheffield. You're not throwing it past him. And sure no. enough, you're not intimidating him. If, if Nolan Ryan can't do it, you ain't doing it. You're tired of you know, it. You know what I mean? And then... But then it was, um, then you homered, and I remember you kind of like walked out. I was like, we were going nuts, and I remember Comerica was going crazy. And then, but then the benches cleared. 
Yeah. Right. Right. And then, then I saw a side of Gary Sheffield that, that was, that was the, from the hood. I was like, Oh yeah. boy, chef yeah. is going after this guy with well, a vengeance. Well, the thing was, is that he, he hit me every time he faced me. And this particular time I said, you know, I, cause uh, Jim Leland came to me and said, Gary, don't do anything. Don't, don't do anything. I said, skip, he hit me with this ball again. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to break his arm. I promise you. He's like, Gary, don't do that. Don't do that. Just go to the first base. I said, okay, I'll do it for you, Skip. And so he hits me first at bat because he threw me a pitch and I hit it foul, a home run. So he figured I ain't going to play with him today. I'm going to just hit it. So he hits me. So I walked down the base staring at his eyes. And if he would say one word, I was coming. So I just stared at him. So I get the first base. I'm already 38 years old. I ain't stealing no base, you know. And so he threw over to first base, and I told him, throw the fucking ball to the home plate. You had your chance to get me out. You know what I mean? And he said something, and that's when I went. Oh, that was awesome. That's that was awesome. So, so I, you know, I, I, I wanted him so bad. Oh my gosh, man. That was great, dude. I appreciate that. Cause that was one of the greatest. I, I still tell that story now in 2022. I'm like, let me tell you this Gary Sheffield story. It's yeah. unbelievable. 15 years ago. So oh, yeah. hey, you talked, you talked about Leland and, and <clears throat> first off, you were with him in 97 in Florida. And I remember when you came, when you got traded in 07 to the Tigers, Leland called me at my house because I had played with the Tigers in 06 and we were both living here in Pittsburgh. And he's right. like, hey, 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 we got him. We got him. We got Sheffield. He's like, right. he, he go, pretty good bat, huh? He just kept saying to me, like, always skip yeah. pretty good bat, huh? We got a pretty good bat. We got one. I'm like, yeah, skip. I just said 10 times. I think it's a great bat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but he, dude, his respect for you was phenomenal. Yeah. Like when he was talking to me, I'm like, man, I was like, I can't wait to play with Chef because if Leland feels this way about chef i can't wait to have him as a teammate can you talk about jim leland you know and what he meant to you in your career both in florida and in detroit well he basically changed my whole mentality about being a leader you know that's when i started understanding leadership i I just thought that you play the game you know hard guys will look at you and follow you but it's more to leadership than that and i and and i remember uh, get, I, we get there in '97. They hired Jim Leland. I was so happy about that because I was, uh, you know, I was got tired of the losing. And he put his arm around me the first day of spring training. They got a they got a card out with me and him on a baseball card, and I, I, I always cherish that card. And he said to me, "People always want to know what he was saying to me." And and that's when he was talking to me. He said, "This team is only going to go far as you take it." And I and I, you know, I really didn't know what that meant. Because I, I just hit 42 home runs, hit 314, drove in 120-something runs. So if, if I got to do more than that, I got some work to do. You know? <laughs> I'm in so, trouble. I'm so, in trouble. <laughs> so, basically, so basically he told me that, no, it's, it's bigger than that. You know, you have to lead these guys. You have to get them to believe that you're going to win. And, and he said that and I believe in you. And so what I want you to do, is I want you to be the best player in every baseball series we play. If we're playing Barry Bonds, I want you to be better than Barry Bonds. If you're playing Manny Ramirez, you got to be better than their best player. And I said, no problem. I can do that. And so when he did that, he became like a father figure to me. And basically guys gravitated to me. And I had a routine that I would go to stretching sometimes and sometimes I don't. 
I don't want to. I don't even want to step on the field until the first pitch is thrown. It's just a mentality that I had, and it's a mental game that I used to play with myself. And um, my teammates was questioning why I ain't come to stretching one time, and Jim Leland stood up for me. He told me um, it's been rumors going around and and some whispering that that you know y'all talking about Gary not coming to stretching. He said when y'all start hitting three hundred and hitting forty. Driving in 120, then y'all can bring that shit to my life, my, my my desk. You say otherwise, get your ass out there to stretch and get ready for the baseball. And so when he did that, he was like my all-time favorite. But it was, well, it was wonderful. Well, that's what I love about him because, you know, he was always like, listen, the rules don't apply to everybody. No, if you're don't. Gary Sheffield, you're Ken Griffin Jr., you're, you're, listen, you put up the numbers, you stretch whenever you want to stretch. As long as you're putting up the numbers, he didn't care. You know, that's what I, that's what I loved about, that's what I loved that's, about him. Right, and the thing about that was, you know, I was hurt in 97 when we won the World Series. I had uh, tweaked my back. I had ran into a wall, and, and at my neck and down my back, it was, just, it was just like pinching the whole time. And I couldn't right. swing the way I wanted to. But 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 uh, Skip called me in the office and he told me I don't want you mentioning this to anybody. I don't want you mentioning your injury. And he told the team, but don't mention his injury because he was using me as that shield to draw the walks, get the timely hitting, do the small thing, and that's why he brought over the Moises Alou, the, uh, the Bobby Benayas, and they brought over those guys to pick up the slack if I couldn't get it done, and so. That's what I did. I was that guy that 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 made all did all the little things, and then by the time it came end of the season, I started feeling healthier, and that's why I had a good a great playoff in World Series. Yeah. What what was so great about that team, Chef? You know, what I mean, like you had some superstars on that '97 right. team. Like, what was so good about you guys, and and you know, find a way to finally win that game seven? Well, I think most guys we all loved each other. There was a close net team. You know, you can't – everybody's not going to like everybody. But right. for that team, you know, we knew how to – the guys that, that, that was like outcast, we knew how to bring them into one goal and one mission. That's to win. And so despite your differences or whatever you feel, we're, we're trying to win. And we have to win because Wayne Hanzinger had mentioned to us in April that he was going to get dismantle the team regardless if we won or lost. And so we, we said that we might as well go out the right way and go out here and win for the city. And that's all our goal was. And, and when we went out there, that was the whole mission, is to win for the city. Wow. And you guys did, man. You beat – I think you beat one of the best teams in, in baseball. That 97 Indians teams was loaded. But then, you know, when it went to game seven and you guys won, I was like, well, looks like they were a little more loaded. You know, when you go back, you yeah. got Leiter and Kevin Brown and Rob Nen, you, Bonilla, Alou. I mean, it was ridiculous – there yeah. were some superstars on that 97 Marlins yeah. team. Absolute it superstars. It was. You know, I watched how I got built uh, from 93. We didn't we didn't have a good team, 94, same, all the way to 96. And we didn't have a good team. And when I, when the strike happened, we, we had traded for – in 94, the strike happened. We had traded for Marquise Grissom and, uh, and Hill, and that got voided because of the, the strike. And so we was trying to figure out what are those pieces that we're going to bring in to replace those guys. And that's when they brought in the uh, the Kevin Browns. They brought in the uh, the Lighters. They brought in the, uh, you know, Devon White, Moises Alou, Bobby Benilla. And when they did that, our whole team changed overnight. And yeah. I remember something, and I tell people this all the time. 
maybe I was, you know, one day if I ever managed, that's what I was looking at or GM or owner or whatever the case may be. I know how to assemble a team. And I remember Jim Leland back in December uh, talking to Dave Dombrowski about assembling this team. And I think it was it was either January or, D- or December, somewhere in there. They was talking about three left-hand pitchers. And nobody understood why he had to have three left-hand pitchers. His whole goal was to get out Barry Bonds. Wow. And that was, it was it started before the season started. We're going to get to this point, and we're going to see this guy. And, and we look at the stats that he has against these three lefties, and they're not good. So I want these three guys just for him. And wow. that, and, and when I go back and look at it, it all works exactly like he played it out. Isn't it crazy how, you know, these guys that have been in the game for so long, you know, they have a they have a rhyme or reason. They they fast forward and go, no, no, no. We we're talking about facing Barry Bonds in October throughout yes. the year. That's crazy. What a story, yeah. man. What? Yeah, a, that's, that's why. I, that's why I knew Jim Leland was all about winning. He he yeah. was preparing this a long time ago, and then in the other situation when we was teammates, he made a call. At, at he, I, I'm I'm on the I'm on the bench getting ready to go hit and go on deck. He's telling me right then when you get on third base and and um, whoever's on first base, if the guy pick try to pick him off at first, still home. And I'm like, I haven't even got up yet. <laughs> 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 and guess what happened, Case? Did it I'm happen? on third. I'm <laughs> on first. And I'm creeping off. I say it's going to happen because Skip said it's going to happen. And I'm walking off. He picks off. I take off running. No throw. Say, I oh, my wow. God. Oh, my God, dude. That's that's Jim Leland. That is so great, man. That is so awesome. Oh, my God. So, Chef, bro, after, after you head out, from uh, the Marlins, they dismantle that thing. Heizinga says, I'm not selling enough cars. We got to get guys out of here or whatever. <laughs> so so off you go to L.A., right? You get traded to L.A. for Mike Piazza, right? Which, is, yeah. which was yeah. interesting because he Piazza, wasn't. Todd Zeal, yes. And Todd yeah. Zeal. But you yeah. go out to L.A., bro, and you have some monster years out there. I think th- four or five. Well, were you, you were in L.A. from what? Oh. Oh, uh, 98 to 01 and yeah. you and you and you raked out there. I mean, kind of went oh, to yeah. another uh, even if you could go another level, but it just you kept the consistency that you were doing. Right. right. What was it like playing in L.A.? And, and like, did you ever like you being a superstar player during that time in your career? What did you ever get caught up into the Hollywood scene? And was there anyone out there that like any Hollywood people you met? And you're like, that was cool to meet that guy. Well, you know, I met a lot of guys out there. Denzel Washington, uh, you know, Cedric Entertainer, you know, I, yeah. I, I go with a small group. I don't hang out with a lot of people because, you know, I keep my circle small. Um, right. But but the thing was, I never got caught up in the Hollywood um, life. I, I was always grounded. I was always a guy that keep to himself. And I was about playing, you know, I was about my craft. You right. know, get my job done. And so I knew a lot of people relied on me. You know, it's a bigger responsibility than most people think when you're a good player or a great player. You know, people start respecting certain things about you and and, and 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 not only respecting, they expect things out of you. And so now you have to lead a whole locker room because if you don't get it done and if you walk around with your head down, 
they're not going to get it done. They're going to walk around with their head down. So, mm. like I said, Jim Leland taught me about leadership, and I just tried to take leadership out there as well as my game. Wow. Well, you did, dude. You you dominated L.A., and then you get traded to Atlanta. Yeah. And I know, I, dude, I, I look back at your career. You played for a lot of great managers. Yeah. But the guy in Atlanta, Bobby Cox, man, I, I used to love, Chef, I used to love playing first base. And he'd be like, hey, what's up, Case? I'm like, hey, Bobby, first pitch of the game, he'd be like, oh, where the hell's that pitch? I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like yeah. Bobby's on these umpires from, from the jump. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what was it like playing for Bobby, man? He just, you know, for, from, a, from a visiting player looking in that dugout going, man, I think that'd be a great guy to play for. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this, Case. I never said this in an interview in my life. And a lot of people don't understand certain things about, me. and I and I and that's that's by that's your own intentional, you know. I intentionally do that, but the point is that I've always played in like a, in a conflicted way because I was a hard gun, and so <coughs> I resented that as a baseball player. And I'm just being honest; I resented yeah. it because you know when people talk about what means something. Oh, playing on one team, the only team he ever played on means something. But you take that away from me because I do my job, but you take you still take it away from me. And so the point is, is that I was always in a situation, like I say, always in a lose-lose. If I play great, I'm trade bait. If I don't play great, I'm finished. So it's like I was I, I, I always felt like I could have did 10 times more than what I did on a baseball field, but I was always playing on the conflict and playing on the conflict. You, you can't give somebody everything and you can't go in the bag and get something that's deeper in that bag. I had a lot of things in that bag. I could have went and got, but I just ain't had a desire to do it. Yeah. Do you, chef, do you feel like, at times you were misunderstood, like, you know, cause like I, like I said, like I said, for us that were in the clubhouse with you, we're like, man, that's one of the best teammates you ever play with. But then you bounced, you know, you got traded from team to team. Do you feel like, man, I wish I would have played for one team for 15 years. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I could have played with a, for the Marlins for 12 years before my, I was a free agent because I signed two contracts and I didn't play one game on my second contract. And I had a no trade clause. So you don't get credit for waiving your no-trade clause to accommodate the team to go to the Dodgers. They didn't appreciate that either. But then when I get there, you want to pay guys more than me. And right. so the bottom line was I wasn't asking the, the you know, the, the change anything out. They asked me would I want to be a Dodger for life. And I said right. yes. And so when negotiations started, don't promise something and pull it back, especially right. when I'm your best player. And so right. when those type of things happen, of course you get misunderstood because why? Because the media is going to spin it in a way to protect the team and not the player. And so yeah. I come off looking like the greedy player. I come off looking like the guy that's, that, that's not, you know, conforming to what's the, what they're trying to do. But, at the, but the truth of the matter is I've always tried to work with the organization, even on my second contract. I told the Florida Marlins to go out and get all the players you want to get, and I'm about to be a free agent. I don't, I'm not going to sign a contract till I know you got all the players in, in place and they're paid, and I'll get my money later. That's how we got that wow. team in 97 to win. When, it, when we got all those players, that's when I signed my contract. So I was never selfish. 
on contract because I could have signed a one year deal my whole career and just been fine. Right. Right. Well, that's, that, that's, that's amazing stuff, man. Amazing. What, what, what about, what about some of the guys you played with in Atlanta? Oh, I got a great story. First off, I I just popped into my head. Um, dude, every people ask me to this day, Hey, Hey, you know, who, who's hit the heart, who used to hit the ball the hardest, blah, 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 blah. I mean, right away. I'm like, Gary Sheffield, like, like, and, and dude, I've had, I, I swear yeah. to God, I've had this conversation with a lot of big league players and, and, and your name pops up right away. Gary Sheffield, yeah. hit star spotter. We're in, we're in, I think it was 2003. We're in Atlanta. And, yeah. uh, I believe I'm holding a guy on at first and you came up and you got that waggle going. I'm like, Oh, somebody yeah. was, I, I'm, I was scared to death at first. Like he might hit one to me at first here somehow, you know, with that, it with the rocket. <laughs> yeah. Was that, I'm that, dude, dude. Can you do you remember that? Do you remember that yeah. ball you hit against us where you hit the left field and it looked like Adam Dunn was playing in it third? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> well, when I hit it, I say, oh, he better get out of the way of that one. <laughs> because when I tell you, okay, I was I was on a I was on a mission at that particular time. And I I told the Braves. Because they, when I went over there, I asked them for an extension because I didn't want to change teams after that. I said, this, I want this to be my last team. And they said, no. They said, I said, so why, why, why won't you give me a contract to make me, uh, you know, retire as a Brave? He said, well, we can't pay anybody more than Chipper Jones. I said, what, you saying Chipper Jones is better than me? They said, no, no, we're not saying I said, I know you're not saying <laughs> Because I'll correct you real quick. <laughs> like so, so from that, so for that conversation, I, I took that all personal, and so I was every time I saw that baseball, I wanted to hit it as hard as I could because I wanted to send a message. And this particular game, I was I was hot <laughs> during that week, and y'all had a picture that kept coming inside on me. I said, okay, I'm going to show him now. <laughs> and so he came inside, and I mean, when I when I tell you, Case, I backspin this ball, the hardest ball I ever hit in my life. And and, and that's two hardest ball I ever hit. I, I hit Kevin Eddie in the ankle at third oh. base. Did you? Did you? Yeah. What, yeah. what happened, on, the, what happened on that one? On if Kevin Eddie can't get a glove on, it was hit hard. So it hit him on the ankle. But this ball here might have been the hardest I ever hit. I mean, he's playing left field, and, and I hit this ball with backspin, so – he was thinking, come in on it or, or run back. So he chose to run from it. <laughs> and it hit the ground and hit him upside the head. <laughs> he did. It was the first time I ever seen a left fielder start retreating on a ball. <laughs> Thing was coming at him. It was screaming like, ah! Yeah, yeah, and then Dunner went back. It hit off his shoulder and like ricocheted. Yeah. It, was, it was unbelievable. To this day, yeah. it was so funny. It wasn't a home run. It wasn't this. It was a just a rocket line drive to left field. Yeah. And to this day, I tell people, they're like, what's the hardest play I've ever seen? I said, you're not going to believe this. It wasn't a home run, but Gary Sheffield hit a ball in 2003 off Adam Dunn's shoulder in left field. <laughs> yeah, and every time we have a former red on, that is that is consistency. Consistently, yeah. one every one of them that comes on is like, remember when Sheffield hit Dunn in the chest? Oh, in the yeah. <laughs> It's so great, dude. Oh my god, it's so great. So you so Chef from from Atlanta. And now are you are you your own agent at this time? Are you negotiating your own deals? Now do you think that actually it started when I was with the uh, Dodgers 
Scott Boris said they they promised me a contract, so I let Scott Boris handle it. He couldn't get it done, and they played games with me and lied to me for two years. And I told them I would never wear your uniform again. So they allowed me to find a team that would trade for me. I said, well, that's easy. I'll find a team. So I called a brave. <laughs> Frank Wren was my GM. He was an assistant GM when we won the World Series. So I called Frank Wren and told him, hey, I can, you know, you guys make a trade, I can come to the Braves. That was that happened in 24 hours. And so wow. now that's when I fired Scott Boards. I said, I can do this myself. I don't need you to do this because you can't do nothing for me at this point. And so yeah. I did my own contracts from that point on. And do you think like like do you think there was contentious contention with the clubs because they're hearing your voice and they're not hearing an agent's voice? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Of course, because you got to hear all the negative about right. why they don't want to pay you certain things. Right. And that's like going to arbitration as a player. That's if you're not, you don't have thick skin. You don't want to hear about the arbitration. <laughs> yeah. They don't want to tell you what you can't do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, being an agent, that's all I kept hearing, what I can't do. But then my message as an agent is, you know, I can't take nothing personal. It's just business. Right. And then the bottom is, bottom line is, is that you only work what you negotiate. And so uh, they tried to lowball me plenty of times. I know they 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 uh, they uh, colluded against me when I went to the Yankees. That was collusion. I know that for a fact because you can't hit uh, 339, 39 home runs, 130-something ribbies, 168 walks, and somebody offer you $2 more million more than what you're already making. And every team was consistent on that same number. That's colluding. So right. I knew that then, and they knew that. Yeah. So, yeah, that collusion stuff, I'm like, man, you know, these guys get together as a player. You're like, man, I can't believe that all the contracts that I'm being offered me are, are about the same. Man, so, yeah. they, they, they can't, colluding. They, you know, it's colluding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when you went to the when you went to New York and you obviously have to you're, you're, you're your own agent now and you're negotiating a contract. Did you talk to Steinbrenner yourself? That's the only guy I talked to, because, see, the Yankees was in line colluding as well. Um, with, with, with the $8 million offer, which will be a $3 million pay cut. So right. why would I take a pay cut when I just put up these numbers? So it's colluding. And so right. I went to the boss. I known, I, I've known George my whole life growing up here in Tampa. And he told me, well, you know, I told you I always wanted you on my team. I said, well, you paid me like you want. You know what I mean? So yeah, I yeah. got a bunch of guys making $20 million on this team ain't better than me. I say, I'm the best player you got on your team that's not on it yet. And so that's wow. how we started talking. And so um, they offered me a deal. I agreed to the deal. When I showed up at the uh, spring training site, they had done switched the numbers around thinking I wouldn't know. And I walked out the room and I wouldn't sign the deal. And then the next day, Steinbrenner got involved. He flicked out all the lights on all the guys who was negotiating the contract. And I walk in, it's dark in there. And I'm like, why the lights off? They told us not to come out the room until this deal is done. And we can't turn on the lights until it's done. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that is so well, hey, hey, Chef, what was he like? What was Steinbrenner like for all of us that don't know him? What was he like? He was the most charitable guy you would ever meet in your life. If there was a need, Sean, and anything in your life, family, friends, whatever. And if it meant that much to you, he, if he respect you, he would be there for you. And one thing that I always tell people, it's an easy relationship to have if you be true to yourself and you be real with George. He would come at you 
in a in an aggressive way. And if you back down, he don't respect you. Mm-hmm. And he don't want no players on his team like that. And so that's one thing he knew about me. I didn't care who he was. I'm going to say what I had to say and do it how I was going to do it. And so that's what he respected about me. That's great, dude. He had the yeah. yeah he had the, he had the right guy for negotiation. He was like he probably was like I can't wait to negotiate with Sheffield. At least he's gonna <laughs> tell me what the hell he really thinks. You know what I mean? Right. In case I'm gonna tell you a story happened in New York. Yeah. And now, man, man, George had a deal. We struck on our own a side deal. You know, it was more money. It was a couple million dollars. And I told him I'm gonna win MVP. I said I'm gonna win MVP because everybody say all oh, you on this team. You can't win MVP. He's not going to put up these numbers in New York. I said, I'm going to put up better numbers. I, I said, I'm going to predict my numbers before the season starts. And he said, you're that good? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm more than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so uh, I put up the numbers, and they we set out. We was up about seven games in September. So we had the division wrapped up. So we didn't play all that much in September. I'm locked for MVP. <clears throat> Vladimir Guerrero, the last game of the season, gets his team in the playoffs. They they tried to convince people that Vladimir Guerrero was the MVP because he got his team in the playoffs. Well, who do you think got their team in the playoffs? That was a <laughs> right, you see, right. close. And you see, that was this guy. And so when they gave him the MVP, me and George had this deal worked out. So in spring training, he had to write me a $3 million check. And so basically, George was getting a little sick. And so the so the organization was trying to keep me away from him, but a bet but a deal is a deal with me. So one day I come in, I go to the training room because they wouldn't let me see him. I go to the training room, I lay on the table with my clothes on. They say, "Well, what's wrong with you?" I said, "My back hurt." <laughs> and they said, "Where?" I said, "Right there." They said, "Take your shirt off." I said, "I can't." <laughs> they, I said, "You take it off." They took off my shirt. And they say, okay, well, you're going to have to do like a rehab. I say, I can't. Everything they told me to do, I can't. Lift your leg, I can't. Lift your arm, I can't. So by the, by the third day, they got the message. I was going to do this every day and not wear that uniform until you did what you said you was going to do. So finally, I got my way up to uh, ESPN came in, and they thought I was playing. Went in the training room, back hurting, same thing. Cashman came in. What's going on? Why, why won't you go on the field? I said, until I talk to George, I will never wear this uniform again. And he said, well, what are you going to do? Quit. I said, if I have to, I'll quit. Like that. So so now they take me upstairs. I get with George. And I tell George, I say, you remember that $3 million you owed me? He was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, it's time to cut the check. So, 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 so he cut the check. He cut the check. I called my people. Okay, everything is wired. Okay, now let's put the uniform on and go out here. I hit the wrong run that day. <laughs> Did you really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. My back's feeling great. My back's yeah. feeling great. And then, I, then all the media go, I guess your back's feeling fine. I said, yeah, it's feeling great now. <laughs> <laughs> and, Chef, even with that, was it weird for you to not be the most controversial player on a team? I mean, the, the, well, during yeah. that time was crazy. A-Rod stuff yeah. was all over the place and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but the thing was is that I did a lot of that stuff to take the pressure off a lot of the players. And and I, I knew that a lot of guys couldn't handle a certain things. And, and anything you throw at me, you can get me at my most embarrassing moment. You can't embarrass me. 
And so it's one of those things. If if if, if I'm guilty of something, I raise my hand. I, I did it. But to me, I'm just a realist, man, and I'll, that's all I know. And but at the end of the day, you know, I'll, I'll give my teammates anything they ask me for and do anything they need me to do, and that's just how I was. Well, bro, I got a quick story with that. You know, you you, you 07, you're coming to the Tigers. I get a call from I believe it, I can't remember who called me, but they said, "Hey, listen, Gary Sheffield." He wants your lock. He wants to have two lockers, and he's like, he wants to offer you a Mercedes Benz. I'm like, what? Yeah. This is unbelievable. This is the greatest <laughs> offer I've ever had in my life. Are you yeah. kidding me? And I said, are you serious? He's like, yeah. Chef's dead serious as yeah. a respect, and was like, as respect to you, he'd like to give yeah. you for his locker. I said, no, no, no. I don't need the Mercedes Benz. I should have taken it now, Chef. I'm like, shit. I should have taken that Mercedes. But back then, I'm like, all right. And I, and and then I remember you saying, Case, what do you want? I was like. Oh, just give me, you bought me two laptop computers. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm doing the podcast on one of those laptops, bro. So I, 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 st- I still hey, owe hey, you. Hey, you're, you're, you're a humble guy, man. You could have had a Benz, man. Now, a what an asshole. What asshole turns down a Mercedes Benz and says, just give me a Mac computer. You know, you know, you know what, okay. You know what, though? When they told me you wouldn't accept, you know, I had the utmost respect for you that, that more than you ever would know. Because... People don't not. It's, it ain't too many people like that, and it's not too many people like you. And when you did that, I, that, that just told me everything about you. I appreciate it, man. And dude, I, I, I was, I was very honored that you just would think of it like that to do that. But no, I, I was, I was very honored to play with you, Chef, bro. Like one yeah. of my favorite years ever, and I still to this day one of my favorite teammates ever. And, I, and I'm. I'm so grateful for that. I still remember coming out the gates in April. I was scuffling so bad. I couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat. I was like, God, why do I, why do I suck so bad, you know? And I remember, I remember you came down in the cages. I was hitting early with Lloyd. And, and uh, dude, you, you, you like were like, hey, Case, can I talk to you? I was like, yeah, what's up, Chef? He's like, listen, man. He's like, you seem a little anxious at the plate, you know? And then you were like, you, you, you know, try to do what I do and just be relaxed at the plate. And I'm thinking, shit. Yeah. I was like, I thought that was the opposite of what you were trying to do. All these, I was like, chef, I've been watching you all these years. It looks like you might be having a seizure at the plate and then hit a rocket in the gap. But, but it's yeah. so funny because you were right. You were, your, your trigger was, that was your right relaxation. There was, you know, yeah. you know, and I, and I always appreciated that. And I started to get things going and I'm like, wow, man, like for Gary Sheffield to come over, grab me and be like, Hey man, why don't you try it like this? And, uh, you know, that that meant a lot, dude. <laughs> well, okay, the baseball is totally different than basketball and football because, yeah. you know, Brady gets to hold the ball every snap. LeBron James can bring the ball down the court every time. If right. you just rely on me, one guy, to win a baseball game, it's not going to happen. We need right. everybody, you know, because right. when a, it may be an important part of the game or not an important part of the game that you may contribute that now I can finish off later. You know, mm-hmm. or if that don't get done, now I got to do both. And so it's just a lot when you're talking about for a baseball player because we're not always mm-hmm. in the situation to win the game for our right. team because our time is not up. You know, right. it, we have to wait our turn to hit. So that's why I tell people don't judge baseball players like you judge LeBron James and, and, and Brady's and things like that. You have to look at us as that, you know, what opportunities we're given. And that's the only way you can judge baseball players. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that, man. I love that. Let me let me ask you something, Case. I I, yeah. I got this idea, and yeah. I've I've been throwing it around to people, and they love it. 
Yeah. I said that the baseball needed to make a couple. Of I think that, you know, how they're not, not that they have the DH in, the, in there now, that it's a mute point. But I said eliminate the pitcher a long time ago. And I said, you should be able to eliminate two hitters per game. So if once you hit and you go around the lineup, after the fourth inning, you can eliminate uh, one hitter. After the, after the sixth inning, you can eliminate two hitters. That way, if you eliminate two hitters, now instead of having nine hitters, you got seven. So every inning, your, your best three players are always going to be hitting second, third, or fourth. Mm. Second, third, fourth, all the rest of the game. And so we're going to be the, the, the people pay to see us play. So we're always in the deciding parts of the game. Then when you talk about extra innings to speed the game up, you got seven players, and you're either going to be third, uh, one, two, or three, or four, five, and six. And then you got that seventh guy. Now, when the lineup turnover for the um, uh, extra inning, you get to put the lineup however you want. And now get your best players up there to do it. That's and fun. I think that that will show who's the most clutch player is. <clears throat> oh, dude. And talk about, you know, nowadays, all oh, the fans want to see more excitement in baseball. Well, now you've yeah. got the best players. Got, yes. You, yeah. you get to see the, the Gary right. Sheffield. Right. He comes up again and again yeah. and again. Wouldn't you like to see Mike Trout get six or seven at bats? Yes. Oh, heck yeah. Yes. You, you see, yes. So I know I will pay to watch it. I mean, you're trying to – the game is about the fans. It's about excitement of the people. And if the people are excited about watching your game, who cares about, you know, it's not played the conventional way. But yeah. you're still playing a baseball game. But we're, yeah. we're eliminating guys. Every guy in the major leagues matters. But right. we all know, Case, that sometimes you don't want to see your seven, eight, ninth hitter coming up when the game – when 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 Mariano Rivera is coming in the game, yeah, it's over. It's over. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. is no tomorrow. There, there is, is no tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> That's it. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true, yeah. Chef. What what about what about the some of the stuff that they've done nowadays in the game, like uh, running on second with extra innings? Uh, you know the, the the bullpen stuff that they that they were doing. Uh, you know the last couple years with like or or they're doing now where you have to pitch to three guys. Do you and and they're talking about a pitch clock. They're talking about making the bases bigger. Do you like the things that they're doing, or you know? I like what's your feeling like on that? Bases bigger because if it was, I wouldn't have never broke my wrist in New York. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when the guy clipped me at first base. But right. I, I, I just I don't like having a reliever, a left hand reliever, come in and have to face three batters. I don't like that. Mm. Um, it's it's a special. He's called a specialist for specialist. a reason. Mm. So now, when you take that <clears throat> that definition away, now that guy might be out the game in two years. Because mm. there's a lot of pitchers that if they had to pitch the three batters, then, you know, a lot of pitchers wouldn't even be pitching to this day. And so, you know, and and, and, and 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 instead of me having to, you know, face this tough righty coming out after he just pitched the one batter, now I got this tough righty, I get to face this lefty. It can change the game in a lot of ways, too. So mm. that one I don't, I don't care for too much. Mm, yeah, that's it. That's a great point. That's a great point. Now, Chef, what about you for you personally towards the end there when you you and you know you play, played in Detroit 07, 08, then you ended and you end your career in the, with the Mets. Right. 
right. and you hit, but for that for that 500th home run, can yeah. you take us back to that home run and and what that meant for you? Actually, you know, every time I t- I have my family fly out, this going to be the day. It never happened. It would get expensive. <laughs> It was getting really expensive, man. And so, and so what I did, I said, you know what? Let's just make it a normal thing. You know, my wife and kids only, you know. And uh, a lot of people like, man, I took off from work. <laughs> man, I gotta go back to work. <laughs> so, so I said, you know, go back home. You can watch it on television. It's going to happen. I just don't know when. Because I was stressing at, at the beginning. And yeah. uh, this particular day, we playing the Milwaukee Brewers, and and in my mind, my mind was blank because I wasn't starting that day, and um, I'm just thinking maybe I'll get a, a bat or something. And when the game was going on, I started seeing, okay, this may be relying on me to come in this game. And then I saw them bringing a left hand pitcher. I said, now nah, I know I'm going in this game. So I went down in the cage, started swinging, and when I started swinging, I felt good. I was like, man, because, you know, I had just got released by the Tigers that 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 uh, spring. So I, I was out of shape. I wasn't really in baseball condition to play because I, I just stopped. I, I just said I was going to retire with 499. Homer. I thought that you were going to do that. I thought that would have been cool. That's not cool. That's not cool. That's not cool. I thought it would have been cool. I was like, let me stop at 499. I don't care about numbers. You know what I mean? And so, but then, you know, a couple teams were calling for me and whatever. So my wife was like, just go back out and do it. The kids want to see it. So I went out there and I get in the game. I'm not even, my mind is so blank. I'm not even realizing this is the first team I ever played for, the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, my right. gosh. That's Never right. dawned on me. Never thought about it. And wow. so oh I go out God. there, and I put on this at bat. I, I think it was like an eight, nine, ten pitch at battle. bat. I don't, I don't remember. How many? It was a battle. It was eight or nine pitches, and I got yeah. a follow-up to this. After yeah, it was, it was something like that. And I was so, I was so tunnel vision at that time. I just knew it was going to happen. And when wow. I fouled the first ball back, I said, oh, I'm going. I'm. I'm hitting the home run this time, <sighs> and then it was just like an ongoing battle. He made some tough pitches on me, and I fought it off. Mm-hmm. And I could see the frustration on his face. That mm-hmm. how did he foul that ball off this old man? And this. And <laughs> so, but then all of a sudden, John, like like most pitches, they, they he made the biggest mistake, but but because now he he just didn't want to walk, me. Right. and they make mistakes when they do that, right. and they threw it right. right in my happy zone, and when I hit it. I looked at it, and when I saw it out, all I can think of was my grandfather. Oh. And that was it. That's all I can think of. I just wish he was living to see it. Mm. And he told me a long time ago that I had inside power and that, my, that I, my, you know, I, I operate, you know, different than most people. And he said that his greatness, mm. he, he knew I was going to be great at eight years old. And he said that to me, and that's all that came <laughs> to my mind. Wow. God. Wait, what, so real quick, case. Wow. So, Chef, I'm sorry. So two pitches before you hit the home run, you hit a foul ball down the third baseline? Yes. Yes. My wife caught it. Oh, wow. 
I shit you not. She's a lifelong awesome. Mets fan. You were her yeah. favorite player. We didn't know each other yet at the time, yeah. but she's like, you're having Sheffield out. She threw, she threw this at me today, and she's got a good arm. Wow. This is the foul yeah. ball you hit right before your 500s homer. Oh. So I'm going to get your address. I'm sending this to you. <laughs> What's I'm that? looking at the ball because I knew you could see that seam. It yeah. looked like it's, it's it's like a little chip on it. Yep, right here. Oh, I, yeah. I, 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 I could have sworn he threw me a pitch, and I said, man, he might be scuffling. That oh, my God. Time. You might be right. <laughs> You're totally right. Case, look. It's scuffed. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Chef, oh, are you shit. serious? You, yes. You, yes. This is it. This is the ball. That's Case, I swear to you. He threw me a pitch. I was like, man, he's scuffing this ball. And oh my God. every chance I tried to get, I tried to get him to throw the ball out. But he, he hey, that pitch there must was a new one. Look at that. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. I can't wait to tell her this story. That's yeah. awesome. Isn't that crazy? That see, awesome. see, Chinch, it worked out. You, you had a yeah. ball from Chef, and now we got a good story on <laughs> yeah. it, which is big That's time. Right. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. Chef, Chef. So you get the 500 home runs. You went to nine all-star games. I like to look back. I went to three of them. You went to three times as many as me because you were three times as better a player than I was, but that's a whole nother story. Right. Nine all-star games, bro. Is there is there one of them that sticks out to you or a moment that sticks out to you? Yeah, um, I think it was 93 or 90, 90, no, maybe 94 in, in Baltimore. Was that 94, 95? One of them. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I know the All Star game was in. No, it was ninety three. It was ninety three. I think. Yeah, yeah ninety three. Yeah. I get traded over to the Marlins, and I make the All Star <laughs> team, and I'm the first Marlin to do that, and it was a big deal. You know, in franchise history, it's a big deal. Denzel Washington walks in the locker room, and I'm like, this this is probably the coolest All Star. You know, he's always <laughs> been my favorite guy, and um, we're we're talking, and and I said, man, I got to put on a show. And what the greatest compliment that ever was paid to me, I never forgot it my whole career until I played for him and I mentioned it to him. When Bobby Cox hit Barry Bonds second and hit me third, that's like the biggest compliment to me. Because for me, I said nobody dethroned me off of hitting third. And he put me in the three spot. And I said, I got to pay dividends. And, and, and lo and behold, Bobby knew what he was doing because once again, they, everybody was scared of Barry Bonds. They walked Barry Bonds, and I wound up hitting a home run in that All Star game. My first oh my game. god! Yeah, off of uh, <laughs> off of Mark Langston. Wow! And I would have been the MVP if, if Kirby Puckett wouldn't we hit the game winning home run. But I would have been the MVP of that All Star game. But that was the moment to me that it told me what somebody thought of me. You know, you hit Barry Bonds second, and I hit third. Wow, man. That is so cool. That is yeah. so cool, man. I, it's amazing, bro, like how your brain works yeah. and the confidence that you had as a hitter. Like when yeah. you're telling Steinbrenner, hey, I'm going to go win the MVP this year, and you should have won it in 2004. You should have right. won the MVP with 36 homers, 121 ribbies. But yeah. it's so funny, like, and then you're like, oh, Bobby Cox hit me third over bombs. I'm about to go yeah. dominate. There's a home run yeah. for the start off the game. Okay. That's it's oh, crazy, yeah. man. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy, man. That, that, and that's why you're one of the best ever. That's the That mentality, not everyone has that mentality. Not everyone could do that day in and day out and, and show up the way you did. Well, that's what is, I mean when I was telling you I can go deeper in my bag to yeah. go do some really special things. But just because the way I was treated, I, I, it was like a, it was a, it was a, it was a blockage. It was something yeah. that would block me from digging deeper because it yeah. was like, oh, you guys, 
you, you, if you really got to know me, you, you, you would, you would do all I'm asking you to do. And, mm-hmm. and, and the things that you're going to get in return, I was, I was always saying that to myself, but I said, you know what, just go out and do your job and keep it moving. Yeah. And that's how well, I about it. Well, it worked, man. Like your, yeah. your mentality. And, and, and do you ever feel like because you were, you know, you went from team to team at times, there was a couple of chips on your shoulder. You played with those chips. Well, yeah, you have to. I mean, the, the bottom line is that you ain't going to never win over me on a trade. You know, so most people try to say Trevor Hoffman make the Hall of Fame. They won yeah. that trade. Trevor Hoffman may have 50 saves, but I'm playing every day. Every day. You know, so, so the bottom line is it worked out for the Padres and it worked out for the Marlins. We both have World Series from it. The only yeah. difference is y'all allowed him to get in the Hall of Fame and y'all ain't put me in. That's the only difference. Yeah. So the yeah. bottom line is every trade that I have been anybody I've been traded for never outplayed me. They never won the trade. So yeah. that's that's something I can hold. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hopefully in these next couple of years, you know, the, the, the writers really, really take a look and wake up and, and, and look at Chef's numbers and, and, re- and realize this guy should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, we're here at year nine. So yeah. I hope that happens for you, Chef. I really do, man. And, and I you know, appreciate it. Yeah, and I'll and I'll be there. Hopefully, when when you go in, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be, be rude. They'll be like, "What the hell's wrong with Casey? He's freaking got a flag. <laughs> he's got a Sheffield flag, and he's doing this." Yeah. <laughs> so, so great, dude, Chef. We end the show. We end the show with something called nine and ninety. Chinch, Chinch. It's just kind of a fun thing. Rich will ask me, me and you, nine questions. I answer first. You answer second, and then bam, we ride okay. off in the sunset. Okay, okay go no ahead. Problem. Go All ahead, right. Chinch. Yeah. Hall of Fame baseball broadcaster Marty Brenneman here. It's time for 9 in 90, the most ridiculous segment in all of sports. And by the way, this is an honor. You're one of my favorite players of all time for all the reasons you just said, the way you carried yourself and everything. You're one of the greatest Yankees of all time, and I'm saying that as a fact. I'm for real. All right, now let's get stupid. First one, Case. Would you rather be the world's strongest man or the world's fastest man? Well, I was one of the slowest guys in big league history, so I think <laughs> so I think I think one of the, the strongest men. I, I'll just stay on I'll just stay on that side of the street, you know. Well you chef. I'd rather be the strongest man. I don't care for running too much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you when you hit him in the seats five hundred times, <laughs> yeah. you can jog a lot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I got flat feet, uh, you know, I got flat feet, so I'm, I'm for that run. <laughs> okay, second question. This is the second time I asked this to CeCe Sabathia once, too, but I asked you guys. True or false, true or false, Sean, Al Leiter is the biggest close talker you've ever met in your life. Oh, true, 100%. <laughs> He's like in your face, hey, Case, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Jesus, Al, back up. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with him. Uh, Al Light is a little different. That's what I was saying. <laughs> 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 All right, tough one here. Okay. <laughs> tough one here. Eliminate one of these forever. You can never have it, have it again. Mac and cheese or hot wings? Oh, never. Oh, dude, I got to have hot wings. Like, it's a staple. Every, once a month, I got to dig into them. So you can have the mac and cheese, man. All right. Oh, that's that's easy for me. I get rid of the hot wings. I All got right. to have my mama's <laughs> mac and cheese. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> got to have it. Nice. I love it. I love it. Awesome. All right, Case, if not baseball, would you have liked to have been a professional hoops player, football player, or golfer? 
You know what? I wanted to be a hoops player back in the day, but then like it turned out I couldn't run, jump, or dribble. And they're like, well, all right, you just need to start playing baseball. So if I had the skills hoops, I would have liked to be a hooper. Well, for me, I was I was better at football than I was baseball. Jesus. And I was running back. I, I wound up uh, signing with the uh, University of Miami to play both. But wow. now that I'm playing golf, how cool would it be yeah. to walk around and make billions of dollars yeah. with golf ball? Right, on a beach. They're always on a beach <laughs> somewhere. For me. All right. <laughs> hey, Chef, what are you what are you shooting? Like, what's your what's your handicap in golf? Well, my I, I play at a twelve, but I shot a seventy six. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, tough one here. You can only have one of these guys on your team this year. Otani or Trout? Uh, you know what? As good as Trout is, Otani go playing both sides of the ball. I mean, I got to go with Otani. You never we never see anything like it. Mm. I, that's that's a no-brainer. <laughs> you got to go with a two-way player over yeah. a one-way player and uh, yeah. I go with Otani, man. He's a uh, He's quite the guy to watch. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so great. All right, this is a fun one, Sean. Eliminate yourself from this. Worst dressed teammate you've ever played with? Worst Whoa. dressed teammate. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, let me think. Uh, uh, Adam Dunn. I was no, say. no, Austin. Austin oh. Kearns. Austin <laughs> Kearns used to come on the plane with like, I'm like, bro, were we going to a hoedown or something? Like, what the hell's going on here? It's the big leagues. <laughs> wow. Hey, well, well, for me, I got a whole bunch of those. I can <laughs> but, but the most, the, the, the one that they used to get my attention was Chuck Carr. Oh. Chuck Carr, oh really? Oh my god! <laughs> like, what would he wear? What would he wear, Chef? He would wear a leather jacket with his name all over it, and we're in 90 degree weather in Florida. <laughs> That's terrible. One thing though, Chinch, yeah. the chef, when Chef got on the flight, you're like, mm. that's the best dress guy in the big league <laughs> yeah. <guy> right there. <laughs> sure. You look good, you feel good, you play good. Yeah. Play good, exactly. <laughs> All right, a few more. Super <laughs> tough one here. Better athlete, Bo or Dion? Oh wow! You know what? I, I, I have to say, Dion. Just the fact that he played ten years in the big leagues and eighteen years, it, you know, as the best corner ever. I don't know. I have to go with Dion, just because of health. It's tough. <sighs> Quick ones. One, in your next life, Case, you have the choice of being in either a fisherman or a chef. Which do you choose? Uh, you know what? I'm probably going to have to go with a, with a fisherman because I think that would be fun to just be out in that water. Yeah. Well, not, I get to fish a lot being in Florida, 
but I have to say chef because I'll get I'll get less flack around the house because my wife wants to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> you're already golfing. If you're golfing and fishing, yeah, you ain't yeah. never gonna be in your yeah. house again. Exactly. Like- enough time in a day, so I got <laughs> yeah. exactly. My wife and family. <laughs> All right, last one. So great. Last one. I need you both to answer this honestly. Case. Okay. Gary Sheffield walks out of that room right now and go gets 162 at his age in this day. How many homers does he hit this year? Oh, uh, Chef, yep. I think Chef could still hit 22 homers. <laughs> what do you got? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding that, you either. That, I actually that, think that. That is, that is absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> that video you know, of you? If, if I get if I get 600 at bat, don't look at my bat now. Don't look at my <laughs> Just like they doing now with yeah. the kids. They're going to strike out. Uh, I'll hit you 22 home runs. There you go. <laughs> One the, of the coolest dude. things all in the last two years was Gary Sheffield with a cigar in his head, in his mouth, hitting bombs yeah. in that YouTube video. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Not only that, I told my kids about hitting the ball out the right, center, and left. Yeah. This so happened on cue. Mm. The, the, my coach was throwing to me. I kept telling them to throw the ball inside. <laughs> And I'm gonna show them how to hit it out of right field from the inside pitch. But he threw it away from me, so I had to hit it out the right field. <laughs> then he threw one in, um, middle end, and I hit that one out of center field. And then he almost hit me with the last. <laughs> and and I had to turn real hard, and I wound up hitting that ball and hitting the people house. So, so awesome. <laughs> I look at it this way, Chinch. When you take a guy that had the probably the best bat speed in, in baseball history and you get him a couple years older, now he's an average bat speed. <laughs> yeah, that, right. that never goes anywhere. Okay? It never go. goes anywhere, anywhere, yeah. The only difference is now I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> I love it, Chef. Oh, man, Chef, this has been so much fun, dude. I, catching up with you. It was great seeing you a couple weeks ago at, at Poppy's Golf Tournament, man. But what yeah. a pleasure, man, uh, getting you know going down memory lane with your brother. And, and like I said, that year in 07, man, I'll, I'll never forget that year playing with you. And I appreciate it. And I hope to see you here soon, brother. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Awesome. All right, Chef. Thanks, man. All right. Okay. Be good. See you, Chinch. That was awesome. And I, and I told you, bro, like, I'm telling you, for people that don't know Gary Sheffield, Gary Sheffield, he, he's not going to let you in if he doesn't know you. Mm-mm. And when he was in the clubhouse with, you know, to a man, the guys that play with him, tell you, Chef was one of the quietest teammates I ever had. Yeah. Kind of stuck to himself, you know, did his thing. Dude, he was the guy, get your lunch pail and go to work every day and put up numbers and show up and be a good teammate and he was the best dude I've, I've i've actually like i said been in this industry a long time that one wasn't intimidating for me i was just a fan though i'm so excited i, I meant everything i said he is one of my favorite players i've ever seen put on a baseball uniform and if he's playing for your team you know it's almost like the reggie jackson thing like oh, they, you hate him if he's not playing. there is no question that man came to play every single day and win and beat you and it was obvious he cared so much and it was so easy to root for him on your team because he was such yeah. a badass. That swing, there's maybe five swings in the history of baseball that are all-time swings, and I put his right up there with any of them. It was the scariest thing. We had Larry Boa talking about how we run down a baseline, scared of him. He was just such a badass player, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. Shame on you, Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, no, he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Let's get that right. You know, let's, you know, at the end of the day, that's the bottom line. And, uh, you know, for me, like I said, man, 
to to get chef two in in this podcast yeah laughing and having a good time like that's the guy i know like he was yeah. he was fun he was good you know he was you know he respected you know everyone in that locker room and everyone in that clubhouse but what a what a good guy but one of the best players of all time let's oh. not sit here and sugarcoat anything one of the best players of all time and let's get it right and get him into cooperstown amen amen to yeah. that Oh, well, thanks for doing All that, right. man. It's so great to see your relationship with him. You guys just seem to yeah. have the utmost respect for each other, and it was really amazing. That's that's a testament no, to you, too. The thing, by the way, I'll bring this up. The thing he said to you about how much he respected you, I, I almost like brought a tear to my eye because you deserve that, yeah. and you're that kind of person. So I appreciate it, Chinch, man. That, that meant a lot for me, for him to say that. It was That was really cool, man. And, uh, you know, and for everyone out there that's that's listening to us, we, we appreciate you guys coming along. We hopefully we've been a good teammate to you as you've been to us. We're very grateful for it. Like us, subscribe, right, Chance? Do yes, all that stuff. everything. Do it all. And because we, we, we want to keep delivering yes. good, good guests to you guys and having a fun time and coming into the minds of some of the greatest players of all time into the clubhouse. And uh, keep tuning in and keep sharing it with your friends. And let's get those numbers up. And, Chinch, I'll see you Friday, brother. Yes. For the fun, ba fun bag Friday. Fun bag Friday. Friday. All right. Love you, bro. <laughs> Have a good week, bro. I'll talk to you. It's